Good morning, noon, or night, wherever and whenever you are listening. You are listening to The Shift. I am your host, Doug McKenty. This is the 13th episode of The Shift, recorded on September 13th, 2017. If you like what you're listening to, please think about becoming a patron on my Patreon page. That's patreon.com backslash The Shift. If you want to find out more information, go to my Facebook page at The Shift with Doug McKenty. Join the conversation on Twitter at McKenty, or check out all of my archives and other information at the website, theshiftnow.com. My guests on the program today are Ellen Brown and Walt McCree of the Public Banking Institute. Ellen is the author of 12 books, including The Groundbreaking Web of Debt, as well as The Public Bank Solution, which describes the inner workings of the current privately owned Federal Reserve System, the inevitable out-of-control debt spiral that results from it, and how publicly owned and operated banks can reverse the cycle, providing prosperity on a local, state, and federal level. She is the founder of the Public Banking Institute and is currently serving as its president emeritus and senior advisor and chairman of the board. Walt McCree served as the, on the board of PBI for the last two and a half years, working tirelessly to educate the public about the benefits of public banking. He recently left PBI to form the Public Banking Associates, an association designed to connect elected officials with banking experts in order to make a clear financial and legal case for public banking. Together, Ellen and Walt produced the radio show, It's Our Money, and today I would like to welcome them to this program. Thank you both for helping to make the shift. How's it going? Thank you. Thanks, Doug. Good to see you. Likewise, uh, I guess I should tell everyone that we have worked together here in Mendocino County. We tried to uh, last year uh, turn Mendocino County into a charter county and put a public bank in the charter. I helped run that campaign. Walt came out and educated us uh, and tried to help educate the community about that. Ellen's been out here as well. So we've had a pretty active public banking coalition going here for a few years. Um, for me personally, it seems like a really viable solution to a lot of the financial problems and economic problems that we have. Um, but for uh, the two of you, why don't you just uh, tell us what's been going on on the public with the Public Banking Institute? Give us a little bit about your past, why uh, and how you got into public banking. Uh, Ellen, do you want to start? I, well, Walt can start on what's going on because that's been his job for the last. <laughs> Sure. He knows all the details of what's going on, but I can certainly tell you about probably PBI. Go ahead. Walt? Oh, all right. Um, well, uh, it it has been a, a massive, really a, a very energized movement in the last couple of years. A lot of momentum. Uh, we have uh, several dozen cities, counties, and states around the country, a, a couple of dozen, I should say, that are actively engaged in pursuing a public bank uh, for their city, county, or state. Um, the people have uh, gotten wind of the logic, uh, and they've also gotten tired of the reality of uh, that, that the financial system is not in their control. They have very little power. They're losing more and more power as their debt grows and grows both personally and also on a municipal level and a state level. So the timing is right for public banking. Uh, it's still a, a lesser known, I mean, it's not, it's not a household word as yet. Uh, people, of course, easily misunderstand what a public bank might be, but we're, of course, referring to publicly owned banks. Um, I think, though, it's such a logical, commonsensical option, uh, the idea of keeping your money at home and investing in yourself instead of sending it to Wall Street, letting them invest it in Brunei and, and, and silly paper around the world, mm -hmm. uh, while our neighborhoods are, are deteriorating and uh, the prospects are not getting any better. Uh, we, we see crises like the 
you know, like the weather of the past couple of uh, weeks as, uh, as harbingers of, uh, of situations that we're going to have to be dealing with, not just socially, but financially uh, as well. And public banks certainly we think have a, a role in the future uh, there to play as, as well. So we have cities that are uh, actively on board in pursuing it. Uh, Seattle being one, we have a strong interest in Tacoma. Up at Portland is also uh, on the <clears throat> on the horizon. Uh, many cities in California, as you well know, um, Santa Rosa, San Francisco has had it on the table. Uh, Los Angeles now has it uh, before the city council president and others <clears throat> really around uh, California, a number of initiatives there. In, in Arizona, there's a state bill. In New Mexico, there is Albuquerque and Santa Fe. Santa Fe, uh, furthest along, further than anyone, uh, having a task force set up by the city council there. And then moving east, uh, you have um, uh, Philadelphia, which is looking at this. Uh, the state of Pennsylvania, uh, Massachusetts is looking at creating an infrastructure bank. There's a bill in New Hampshire. Maine is considered one. Vermont, it's you know, you, know, you get the idea. And yeah. I'll just yeah. I'll just cap off by saying that uh, probably one of the more exciting things that we're looking at is in New Jersey, uh, where the new governor, the likely new governor, has said very clearly and has really run on the campaign of creating a state public bank, which would be a very, very big deal for America, because uh, for the state uh, to actually consider uh, incorporating a public bank will mean that we will have gotten past the barrier of control uh, and the influence of the Wall Street banks, which for up until this time has basically taken the state public bank prospect out at the final hours of saying, you know, the lobbyists and the, the friends saying, you know, you guys, you guys don't want to do that. You know, the influence peddlers. And so so we'll see. But uh, whether or not the new governor here or the likely new governor here follows through. But as citizens, everybody, people are banding together to look at how they can make the case, educating their neighbors and then also telling them about the options and what the benefits to be realized. And so we're really starting to work to support our elected officials uh, in taking that, uh, that next That sounds great. Ellen, there just do you want to describe maybe the way the current system works? Because I think so few people understand the Federal Reserve and really even understand where our money comes from. It's one of those things, you know, I, I've thought about this so much because I was in college. I studied a lot of economics and political science and I get out of college. I was probably 25, 26 years old and I realized I had no idea where my dollar bill that I spend every day comes from. Uh, and I think that so many people are still stuck in that rut. You know, they have no idea how money is created. And so they don't understand any of the macroeconomics that are really going on and how much these affect their daily lives. So can you just kind of describe how the Federal Reserve works and how this um, the fractional reserve system works and how it's a debt based currency, this fiat currency that we're using right now? Right. Well, I agree that I think we're intentionally not told all that because, in fact, 95% of our money supply is created by banks when they make loans. That used to be considered conspiracy theory, but the Bank of England in 2014 confirmed it in their quarterly report, and the Bundesbank has now confirmed it, I think, in June of this year among other authorities, but these are essential banks themselves that have confirmed that banks do not lend their deposits, contrary to popular belief. They don't get money in and then lend it out again. They're not just intermediaries. That's what mm -hmm. this um, thing in the Bank of England said. 
that that they create deposits when they make loans. So they find the money later. They scramble around to balance their books later, but they issue the money first. So if you have, for example, two, if you have it in one bank issuing a loan, and let's let's say to a, um, a a homeowner to buy a home, and then if the um, if the land or the seller is in the same bank, then you will have this loan creating money. That, so it will go from one account to another. The, the bank will create the money. It goes into the other account, and it doesn't really affect anything. On their own books, they've got a plus and a minus, and it comes out to zero. If, it, if the check goes into another bank, let's say the, the seller is, has an, is in another bank, then you will have a minus, let's say it was $500,000. You got $500,000 going out, but you might have, the other bank might have just done the same thing, created a mortgage. I mean, you've got banks all across the country issuing loans and creating money in the form of loans. And so that, so you've got deposits coming in and going out all day long. So if you get a, enough, as many deposits coming in, it's going out, your books balance, and you don't have to borrow anywhere. You've, well, you're actually borrowing from your depositors, but nowadays they don't, don't even pay interest to the depositors, so they've just got this pool of money. Mm -hmm. And if they come up short on their deposits, they only have to um, balance the books at the end of the day. This gets kind of complicated, but if they come up short, then they they borrow the Fed Federal Reserve treats it as an automatic overdraft in their Fed account, their reserve account, and they can borrow temporarily from the Fed, and then they have to cure the the problem by finding money somewhere else. Anyway, they are when you get economists that'll say, "Oh no, that's not the way it works," or bankers will say, "No, they're actually lending their deposits." or that they have to cover that loan that they created with some sort of, they have to borrow it somewhere, which is true. But because they're all creating this money all at once and new deposits are coming in at the same time that they're going out, you've got money being created all across the system as a net money creation. So I guess I didn't explain that very well, but okay. So you've got um, double entry bookkeeping. That's how it's all done. Double entry bookkeeping. So if you've got, if you create a mortgage, you've got a five hundred thousand dollar liability on your books because you've got to cover that check when it goes out. But you've also got a five hundred thousand dollar asset on your books because the borrower has agreed to pay you that back over time with interest. So the books, your own books balance, you've got a plus 500 and a minus 500. And then that, but that $500,000 that goes out into another bank is $500,000 that's now circulating in the economy that wasn't there before. Mm -hmm. And, but in fact, all our private loans do get, most of them do get paid back. The ones that don't get paid back, the, the ones that actually create our money supply that stays out there. Or I'm, I should say that the Bank of England said that 97% of the money in in the circulating money supply in the UK was created in this way. And if you look at a chart of the US money supply, about 10% of, of the M2 money supply is in paper dollar bills and coins. I mean, it's almost nothing coins. It's almost all paper dollar bills, but half of that is abroad. 
So only about 5% of the money supply in the United States is actually these paper dollar bills created by the Federal Reserve and all the rest are created by banks when they make loans. And even that 5% that's created by the Fed, they print the bills, but they don't just print them and spend them as they would if it was the Treasury issuing. People think that this is government money and the government just prints it and spends it and then they blame the government when there's too much money out there. But it's not the government at all. It's the Federal Reserve prints these dollars and they go, and they're lent or or bought by the other banks. In other words, the Fed gets that money for free, and then they they get the seniorage, which is the difference between the what they pay for the to print the bill and and the face amount of the bill, like a hundred dollar bill. They basically get a hundred dollars less six percent mm-hmm. or like six cents to print the thing. Yes. Well, I didn't say that very well. <laughs> Go ahead. I just want to say it's, it's, it's kind of amusing because one of the things in Doug's question about what where's my money coming from, almost like what is it? And it's amusing to hear you describe what a shell game it is, <laughs> you know, about how it's represented, misrepresented, you know, and, and exchanged. Uh, and when, in fact, uh, it's and people think that it's valuable, think that money or coins have value, like gold or silver or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, really, it's just a, a representation of a relationship. And I think it, um, one of the things that's pretty exciting about, I think, Ellen's latest work is really discovering money or re-describing it as a crediting system, as a relationship of, I credit you, you credit me. Right. And we have that simplicity of exchange having nothing to do with, you know, with uh, with gold and frankincense and myrrh. I have I have heard that like ninety percent of the money is basically used as credit. I mean, it's just it, you know if somebody buys, uh, you're you're buying a product from a manufacturer and you're going to sell it in your store, so they extend to you you know twenty thousand dollars worth of credit, so you buy it from their from their manufacturing plant, and then you get the stuff to your store and you sell it in the store and then pay it back to the manufacturer. And this is like ninety percent of the transactions in the entire economy, which is basically just you know, flipping money so that a, a credit system like you're talking about, I think, could actually function for a lot of the economy uh, without having to deal with the dollar bill or the Federal Reserve at all. So that is an interesting concept. Can yeah, you- that's actually what I was just writing about, uh, um, the coming revolution in banking, that now with the cryptocurrencies, you can actually literally cut out the middleman. You could cut out the bank and you could cut out the government and you could have a system where it is like one big community currency where you create your own money, your own IOU. What you have today is the bank turns your IOU into something acceptable in the marketplace. If you went to the grocery store and tried to write out an IOU, the grocer wouldn't take it. But you go to the bank and write out your IOU, which in the form of a mortgage or, you know, you sign some sort of contract that you will pay this back. The bank will turn your IOU into something you can spend at the grocery store mm-hmm. that, that in effect the bank is covering it so it used to be they actually printed their own paper bank notes and that was fractional reserve lending like they might have 10 percent gold and then 90 or then but they'd print 10 10 notes for every for every one dollar in gold they'd print 10 notes they knew they could get away with 10 to 1 because right. people only came for their gold 10 percent of the time and then when it, with the National Bank Act during the Civil War, 
uh, it imposed a very heavy tax on these state-issued paper notes. And so in, and the idea was to get all the banks to join the federal system. But many state banks or state chartered banks continued to be state chartered banks, but instead of issuing their own bank notes, they just wrote the, the money into the borrower's deposit account. So you write out that you write the bank note when you write the check, which so you're signing it and it's basically guaranteed by the bank, but mm. it's still your IOU being turned into money through this whole intermediate, this whole process. But you could cut out the bank and do the whole thing cryptographically with something in the nature of it's a blockchain similar to Bitcoin, but in fact, I would argue Bitcoin won't work. I mean, Bitcoin is a, a different model. It's actually the gold-based, commodity-based money is a commodity model. And in fact, what, we're, what we are looking at is a mutual credit model where you're, you're clearing balances like with a community currency where money comes into existence when two people agreed to, agree to exchange. So one person winds up with a debit and the other winds up with a credit and that's how money comes into existence in a digital community currency system. Whereas in a Bitcoin system like gold, it's something you have to mine. You have to get it from somewhere else. You mm -hmm. have to borrow it, borrow it or mine it yourself. And then it's a thing. And then because it's this unique thing that you don't want to duplicate, you have to tr trace it through the system and you've got all these millions of computers tracing it. So it turns out that the amount of Bitcoin out there now, just the cost for the transactions now is as much energy as Ireland uses in a day goes into these Bitcoin transactions. Right, yeah, there's a lot of resource that goes into manufacturing Bitcoin. Wow. Yeah, so it's because, and it's because it's on the Austrian system of money is a commodity. Hmm. But in our whole national system, money is not a commodity. It's a mutual credit system. It's actually just a clearing system. The bank keeps its own books and clears its debits and credits. And if it goes into another bank, then it's cleared through the Federal Reserve. And internationally, it's cleared through the SWIFT system, the ACH ACH system is that Swift, yeah, and then you know now the IMF is talking about setting up an SDR system as a as a, a unit for clearing, but anyway, the whole thing is really just mutual credit that you have one party creating the money and another party coming up with the debit. I, I would just I would just add, if I may. Um, Ellen's talking about the commodity <clears throat> nature of how people think about money, and and we're and what we've been teaching or people are speaking to is the utility of money. That money is a utility and an agreement, and in the cultural shift, the paradigm shift that we need to be moving toward, relative to municipal dollars, state and public dollars, and so forth, we need to start to see that money is not only not scarce, not only not scarce. But that it is a utility that everyone is entitled to have, like water, electricity, as uh, healthcare <laughs> would be today's uh, theme. <clears throat> but, right. But those things are part of being uh, in the human community, and and money is merely one of the devices that we have to uh, get on with our lives. 
Well, and where virtually all money comes from now is you're turning your own future productivity into something you can spend now. That's what it is. Turning your own IOU, your own promise to pay later into something you can spend now. So you, we've got, there's as much money uh, as there are workers and materials, you know, as there are potential productivity, you should have the money to match that. And if, so instead of thinking you've got to get the money first, and put it into a savings account and then you can make loans. That's not the way it works. You've got to lend the money first. You've got to create the credit first mm -hmm. and put the product together. You've got to get the workers and materials together to create the product before you can sell it, before you can actually get the money. So the credit goes first the, or the debit and then you pay it back with the productivity. And you see how upside down that is? Because that because right now we don't have the money to fix the bridge as opposed to saying hey, that bridge is going to fall in, fix it, you know. Yeah. Right, right. The, the the system right now is that when they've got us wired is that we have to borrow it from these people and pay them to borrow the money that really belongs to us anyway as the as the people. Well, I think yeah, you there's that joke. There's that joke about the spaceman that comes to New Orleans during the um during the hurricane and says, um, or after the hurricane and the city's a mess. And he said, oh, what, what happened here? And that the mayor comes to greet him and says, oh, we had this horrible hurricane. And uh, it's just, and he said, well, why can't you fix it? And he says, the, the, the spaceman says, oh, I know you probably don't have the workers. Said, oh, no, we have plenty of workers. Well, you probably don't have the materials. No, no, we have plenty of materials. What we don't have are these little green pieces of paper that you need to get the workers and the materials together. Right. <laughs> and, and the spaceman says, beam me up, Scotty. There's no intelligent life on Earth. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think what Walt said really hit the nail on the head, this idea of scarcity. And I think that the current system, like this Federal Reserve System, actually creates a, a sense of an artificial scarcity, whereas what you're saying, money should just be almost like a, a metaphor for potential productivity that we all have. So we all should, we have plenty of ability to work, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. plenty of ability to get resources, plenty of ability to, to manufacture those resources into something functional. Um, and yet... There's this system that's in place right now that I think creates this artificial scarcity. Um, and maybe another thing I'd like for you to address is when you're talking about the money supply. Well, why don't we just start there? Why don't you just start with the concept of scarcity and, and how we can address that? Right. Scarcity is a control mechanism. I mean, it's a, it's a parasite on the literally usury or I mean, I, I don't th I think interest is not a bad thing. Mm hmm. So I guess I shouldn't use the word use term usury, but anyway, that the idea that there's a limited amount of money and that um, the banks actually create scarcity so that we will borrow and so that we will pay them a nice interest rate. They don't want money slashing around out there. Right. I mean, they're making money on all the credit card debt and the student loan debt and the, and all the and the car loan debt. We've got all these debt bubbles that are happening right now because people just don't have enough money to pay for the stuff themselves because of the work that they're doing. And it's it's actually is crazy like you're talking about, like if we just had enough money in the money supply and the so that that kind of leads me to my second question. And I know 
Like it does not have to work like this. And in the public banking model, it doesn't work like this. But in the current model, we've actually got a situation where these banks are making loans. And so that money goes out into the money supply. But then they're asking for those loans back plus interest. And the interest doesn't exist in the money supply. That didn't get loaned out in the first place. And I think, am I correct in thinking that this then creates this competitive environment? Like there's not enough money in the money supply for all the loans to get paid back plus the interest. So there's got to be some losers in there somewhere. You know, everybody's always constantly scrambling to pay off that interest so that the bankers can end up with, you know, well, I mean, the bankers are ending up with the interest. And then if you can't pay the loan back because you can't get the money, then they end up with the property that you bought with the money in the first place. So they're, right. they're making out like bandits. Or you have to borrow some more, which is what they want you to do. Right. But, and that's called the debt virus theory. And I've gotten into endless trouble by saying that's how it, here's the, the counter argument to that is that the debt actually can be paid if you assume that the, um, let's say the banker, you only pay it by the month. You don't have to pay the whole thing at once. So you pay by the month, whatever you owe, $3,000 a month, let's say, on this mortgage. And the banker hires you to scrub his floors. Well, he's not going to pay you $3,000. let us say you borrow $10,000 from the bank, repayable at the rate, uh, 20% repayable at the rate of $1,000 a month. So you only have to pay $1,000 a month and let's say the banker hires you to scrub his floors for $1,000 a month. In 12 months, you've paid off the loan and the banker has gotten your labor basically for free. Right. <laughs> but that's the problem. That's the whole thing. They've got, our, we're slave labor. I mean, it does work if, if they would pay us for starters. And of course, the bank does not hire their debtors. What they do with their money mostly is put it into this other economy. We've got two economies going, the speculative economy of money making money. Mm -hmm. They put it out there and it just keeps growing and growing and then they pass it on to their kids where it grows and grows. So their, their whole net worth just keeps growing and growing and growing, sucking money out of the system. If they did pay it back, in fact, in the public banking model, we're talking about paying it back. That's it. The, you put the money back into the local economy. You pay for workers, pay for materials, you build things, and you charge a very modest interest that that they can afford to pay. And the interest in goes the back. Real. The interest then goes yeah, back to your yeah, government. It, it doesn't go into the speculative economy. So your your community is benefiting from both both ends. Right, and it goes, to, and the government itself spends the the interest on, so it's out there in the economy to pay back the the interest on the debt. So it works as long as it's as it's, long as it's a public bank that returns the money to the system. Private banks do not return the money to the system. They, it's often ta offshore tax havens or who knows where, but it's not coming back to our economy. So that's one of our big arguments for our own banks is that we'll put it back into our own economy. The, the, this, the web of debt, to coin a phrase, mm -hmm. <laughs> the web of debt that we find ourselves in uh, is, uh, thanks to Ellen's work, uh, it reveals the predicament that we're in, which is unsustainable because it, 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 there you cannot borrow yourself out of debt. Right. 
And so, but we assume it as such a, as if it were, as, as fish in water, just assume what's in the water. We have, uh, we're stuck in a system like that. Now, the parasitic system that Ellen was talking about, Michael Hudson writes about, I think, really, brilliantly, a nice metaphor, talking about the, uh, uh, the, the parasite that uh, feeds on the host. Killing the host was the name of his book. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and, and um, he basically uh, illustrates that in biology, a parasite, a really effective parasite, has a way of getting into the host's brain and making the host think that it's doing them a favor. Which of course, and 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 this of course is the how this this debt bug parasite has got to do our thinking too, that we that banks are doing us a favor by giving us all this money. Well, right. yeah, I mean if we can't get anywhere else, you know, but but the the absurdity of borrowing money from somebody else when you've got it yourself is the realization that the public banking frontier or the, or a prospect uh, is affording. People are starting to see, wait a minute, we're being duped. Not only that, we're being taken. Horrible. Because it's un- the, the debt load is unsustainable. And the interest rates are now down to a point where there's very little margin for them to do business banking the way they used to. Uh, their system is crashing. And they're taking it's taking us with them. And it's happening quickly enough uh, that uh, not only are people railing criminality of their banks that are, are doing their business but they there's no place for people to grow to go no prospect losing their jobs can't afford education etc etc so we're on a downward spiral mm-hmm. public bank provides an alternative and it's let's say let's keep wells fargo well you know they don't have public banks to go to just yet that's really what we're seeing on the frontier around the country is that public banking is posed as an alternative uh, and it's systemic alternative uh, to the yeah I mean I just want to reiterate what Ellen was talking about there there has actually been created I think a, a second class I mean this upper class of banksters I you know I love that term the banksters because they're skimming off the top when all of the interest payments in this debt-based system are going through the banks and then out into this speculative economy as Ellen was saying and then the, this wealthy class, basically, I mean, that's what they're doing. They're skimming off the top of the entire economy and just growing and growing and growing this massive amount of wealth for a handful of people. While, like what you described, Walt, the rest of us are basically required over time to get more and more and more in debt so that now we're in debt for our cars and our student loans and our health care and, I mean, everything else that the whole system. I mean, I, I'm, I don't shy away from that term debt slavery at this point. You get into this downward spiral, as you're describing, and this yeah. is just an inevitability of this, of this system that's creating this false scarcity around the money supply and then skimming off the top through the interest payments to you know the one percent or or the point one percent or the point oh one percent really that are at the top of this pyramid. So, so now why don't we turn to the solution? And you've alluded to it uh, about public banking. I actually had as we tried to promote public banking here in Mendocino County. I mean, I talked to the county treasurer here about it. And they were just they were scared out of their minds that the thing was the initiative was going to pass <laughs> because they didn't have any idea. You know, it was just it seemed so different to them on the one hand. And then on the other hand, I think that when you start crunching the numbers, 
because what you're talking about is turning this downward spiral around into a, po a net positive spiral so that over time your community is accruing the assets and the value and everything else that's now going into this speculative economy. And I mean, we were starting to crunch the numbers like with our public bank, we, we were having hundreds of millions of dollars. You know, if our tax money and in, in our Mendocino County has less than 100,000 people in it. But if we had the tax money going into a public bank, and they could lend that out right into our own economy, that tax money. So there's the fractional reserve system so they can lend out you know, multiples of what they have in the bank from the taxes that they got. And then that money goes out into the economy and starts to be productive right here in our own community. Then they're getting more tax money back and the interest that's getting paid back on the loans is going back to the county. I mean, it was almost un it was actually it was unbelievable to the people we were trying to explain it to because the net positives yeah. were so powerful that they were like, well, we'd be doing that. Of course, we'd be doing that if that were true, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like they yeah. couldn't believe the level of the scam that was going on and they couldn't believe the actual benefits they could get from this public banking model. It was just almost too much for them. Can you mm -hmm. talk? Well, to them? I, yeah, um, you know, you can do multi fractional reserve is the multiples of your capital, not multiples of your deposits. And mm -hmm. a lot of people get that wrong. So, OK, you can. You leverage your capital, not your deposits. So, in other words, you, the Bank of North Dakota, I think, currently has a 70% uh, loan to deposit ratio, right? So, they have 70% as much loans as they have deposits. But you are, so here's the thing. You could take okay. your, your, say you have a billion dollars. This is what I'm thinking the, the state of California should do. Let's say you start with a billion dollars. And this could be, say, in your infrastructure bank, you've got a billion dollars to lend. Well, the normal way to do it is you lend it out, you wait for it to come back, and then you lend it again. You can only lend your million dollars once until it comes back. If you use that as capital for your bank, you can lend out $10 million. Mm -hmm. But you do need $10 million in deposits to, to, to balance your books. But, you, but for the state of California, they've got, for example, $70 billion in the treasurer's investment pool earning, last time I looked, it was learning, earning, I think, 0.82%. So learning, earning under 1%. And if you were using that, if you were doing loans, say at 4 or 5%, depending on what kind of loan, or 2 or 3% even, you're, you're earning a lot more on that same money and you see what I mean so, so sure. you've got enough money to, to pay you can still pay the interest that they're earning now and you're still going to come out with a nice profit and you can direct all those loans to all those businesses and students or whatever that need them in the economy yeah the the infrastructure lending for example she gave an example of the iBank in California with the revolving fund um, but the uh, the, the ability to uh, leverage that way is uh, is a game changer, uh, and it, it it takes the uh, it makes your financing countercyclical, so it's independent of the market flows and the and the complications of, of, of market stresses. You're independent of the of the crazy of the criminal behaviors of the the bankers. You have an isolated spot where you know you're able to actually build something. 
that has some problems. So, Walt, what have you noticed as you go around to the communities on the ground that are trying to make these changes? What are the what are the issues that you're running into? I'm talking to the public officials that are contemplating instituting public banking in their areas. Um, you know, I, I found here on the ground there's just so much skepticism, and and I mean, as I'm sure the listener understands that this stuff is gets so complicated that it's it is hard for people to wrap you know wrap their minds around it and really understand what's going on. I think that's one of the reasons, in my mind, the extent of the scam, the way that the bankers are able to hide behind the the complexity of of the banking system, uh, in mm. order to produce something that doesn't really work for the benefit of the vast majority of us and kind of get away with it. Um, so when you're going around to, to communities and to, um, you know, and especially working with the elected officials, what are you finding in terms of their skepticisms or the challenges that you're facing trying to institute these ideas? Well, we had, some, we had a, a wonderful experience up in Seattle where senators and, and members of the Treasury Department all uh, gathered for a workshop around creating a, a Seattle State Bank. Uh, and they were down with it. They really got it. They said, look, this has been on our floor for five or six years, and we really want to finally get this thing through because it had always been pocketed at the last minute by the chairman of the committee or other high-ranking high or lobby-influenced uh, uh, legislators. So seen very positive indicators there. And, of course, I mentioned the future governor of New Jersey. But there is that hesitancy uh, on the part of financial managers because they don't haven't seen this and they're trying to make things work for their municipality or their state they have ways of doing business they have people that they do business with some of them hope to be able to retire to do work with the banks that they're borrowing from they have borrowing relationships with bond markets they are you know so they have a personal professional relationship and experience They've never heard from this. Banking departments haven't heard about public banking, even though they're all over the world. Mm -hmm. So we have to, there's a pretty, there's an educational phase there. But we're also finding, ironically, that even bankers uh, and some of and these financial people don't know about how money gets made, that money that you, that you, uh, you know, that you can leverage your capital. They don't see that that would be, they've never thought about having that as a tool in their own toolbox. Um, they, uh, you know, so they're beset with some of the same thinking and the, and the trends of operation uh, that the rest of us are. So we're very early in the educational process. People are starting to discover what, what money is and also how it, what it could be, but for the way we think of it, you mm -hmm. know. Um, but, the, but the logic is, is very compelling. The common sense of keeping your money at home, investing into yourself, is that they do see that. And there are... Uh, plenty of uh, uh, representatives around the country who are not only in office, but running for office, who think this is something to stand on, someplace to go. So we're excited about how that's going Yeah, we have found that the people that get on board the fastest are the bankers because they understand it. Wow. Uh, example, Phil Murphy was a Goldman Sachs banker, and as soon as he heard about it, you know, it's, I guess you can tell it better than I can, well, but his eyes lit up and... You know, he understood the potential, whereas mm. people that don't understand how banking works, you got to start start from scratch and walk them through it. And politicians are inherently resistant to change. They want to preserve their jobs. They don't want to go out there and do something really risky. They know they're going to get pushed back from that Wall Street banks. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the one easy out for the politicians, you, you met this too probably, is this provision in state laws all across the country that says the state shall not lend or the, the, the credit of the state shall not be lent, something like that. But if you trace those laws back, that they originated during, it was before the Civil War when you had um, the railroad companies were coming into these towns and the, the polit- local politicians saw this as an opportunity for the town and so they guaranteed the loans of these railroad companies and then the railroad companies went bust. And so some states put that in their constitutions. That's when they were forming these constitutions was in the middle mid-19th century. The California Constitution was formed in 1849. And so that's when that provision dates back to, and there's like virtually no law under it. No, nobody, they never, they never used that law. There's no case law to see what it actually means. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it goes back to this time when the states were guaranteeing private loans, and that's what it's talking about. But that's not what we're talking about here. And and, and then another common pushback uh, is that, uh, and we hear this even from politicians here in New Jersey, in particular, say, wait a minute, you're going to give the politicians a bank? You know how corrupt this place is? Right. You know? <laughs> and, and so, and it's really interesting because that, of course, is true. I mean, corruption is an issue, but it's also something that 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 we are able to design around. That we, you know, you accept inside the design of the architecture of the institution that you don't let so you don't let this group of people make loan decisions. You don't have the special interests on the board of directors. You have the you have the uh, the the loans being very transparent. You have the stakeholder citizen stakeholder interests represented on the board of directors or in the board of advisors uh, you you uh, design the uh, the management to be outside the cycle of the of political uh, electioneering etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm-hmm. so the idea is that well we have a democracy we've got the capability for the people to have an influence and a functioning machine now all we have to do is make sure that it has integrity well you know what man i mean we can have integrity in our public works in fact we have it all the time you look at you look at the FAA, look at all the systems that we rely on, how well government does it. Well, well. so one of the things that we're up against around the country is this 40-year-old lie, this myth, that government can't do anything about it. You know, mm-hmm. that the, the, the private... Then, people, who, who would you rather have doing your banking for you? That your elected officials that you elected, that the populace elected, or private Wall Street bankers that we already know where that leads to? We've seen the results in the 2008 collapse and the most right. serial criminal uh, entity of any corporation corporate body in the world mm-hmm. <laughs> right. you want them you serial? want known criminals or only suspected criminals <laughs> right <laughs> but um, with cryptography now that was the thing about blockchain and cryptography is you can actually make it so that it is immutable transparent and you, you can track it it's and as long as you've got public information, FOIA, you know, freedom of information laws, you can go in there and see who spent it and for what, and you can get on them if it's not spent right. Whereas even with those laws, you could go into J.P. Morgan Chase and they'll say, okay, so we spent it on our own stuff. 
try well, to stop it. What are you going to do to me? Yeah. yeah. I'm, no one I'm, goes to prison here. <laughs> the, uh, the Federal Reserve's not even allowed to be audited by Congress right now, so nobody knows what's going on in there either. I mean, t- transparency is certainly the key. And like you said, Walt, I mean, I know when we were thinking about writing this in the charter, I mean, the, the government would have owned the bank, but the bank is a separate entity you know, and and has certain legal obligations. It can't just function corrupt, you know, without having lawsuits or and and there's a you know there's that firewall in between. It's a different organization um, with its own board of directors and its own you know its its own separate functionality, just like any other bank. Um, mm-hmm. So so there are ways to to ensure the integrity, and as long as there's transparency there. You know, anybody can check it out. Everybody, everybody can check it out and make sure that things are functioning the way they should be functioning. Yeah, there right now there's this big push for the state wants a cannabis bank. They really want to be figure out what to do with all that cannabis cash. Right. They want a billion dollars they're going to get in taxes. So it is a big opportunity for setting up a state bank. But unfortunately, there's the problem that it's illegal. And so... For that reason, you have all kinds of, um, you know, roadblocks. I mean, we haven't figured out exactly how to get around the fact that the Fed can just come in and snatch all that money. But I, th- I think we have, we're arriving at, a, at an interesting his point historically and, and economically, where, as we've been saying, uh, the, the interest that we're acquiring, the debt we're acquiring, is unsustainable. So, and that money, uh, if because we can't borrow our way out of or pay for the impending expenses that are before us to repair all the stuff that's been broken, all the stuff that we need, we're getting to a point where FDR was back in the 30s, where everybody was out of work, they blew up the financial systems, working in anybody's interest, and what did he do? He issued money and put people to work. There's plenty to do. A lot of people and spent it into the economy and made America great. Right. America. By by putting America to work with money that was not borrowed necessarily. It was issued from the government for and and just and, and it did I mean Ellen can tell you chapter and verse about that much better. But it but it, it was actually was, borrowed, but where did they get the money? They borrowed it from the great cloud, yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, so so we have to do that again, and of course, some of this is being talked about in terms of having universal basic income as a way of moving the money out to where it needs to be for people to have lives and to survive. But if we don't do something like that, if we don't do those things, there's going to be a lot of misery to be paid and a lot of, I think, social upheaval and social unrest that will that will make it life much less bearable. Well, can you can you go back and talk? Let's just talk about how the public bank would work a little bit more about the nuts and bolts of it and how it does create this this upward spiral so that the you know money starts to stay local and it starts to grow in your community so that instead of this debt based system that we're living in now where the money gets siphoned out into Wall Street and the speculative economy. If that money starts to stay in your local economy, then it's growing and growing. So over time, everyone just starts to get enriched in the, in the public system. I mean, this is the this is the aha moment for me. You know, that light bulb needs to go on for people that are listening to this to be like, okay, we can set up a system where if our economy is productive, then we get to keep that productivity. 
Um, you know, another interesting thing, I just to bring this up, I saw a graph the other day that, that productivity has been increasing, of course, as the economy gets more efficient. But since 1975, the workers haven't seen it. It hasn't come into real wages. I, I think that's what we're really getting at here. The, the fiat currency system is not getting productivity increase back into the hands of the working class. It's siphoning it up into this into this speculative economy. So, you know, let's just just to get the nuts and bolts of how does public banking really work to keep the money local? Well, I, I just like to say the financialization, what you're describing is the financialization of our of our uh, system, which has created runaway inequality because people are making money through exchange of paper and just moving paper. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But one example of what you're talking about, about making the shift between the current uh, unsustainable system and the, uh, the prospective public banking system would be, for example, uh, let's say a municipal lending or municipal project. Right now, your cities and states and counties borrow the money that they don't have to do the projects. And so they have to they go to Wall Street and they pay. It winds up, winds up costing us twice as much to get the same thing done because half of it, fully, fully half of it, is money that goes to the financing. Mm -hmm. If you find it with the public bank, you have a public bank that's capable of lending the $30 million or writing the paper for it, then you are doing a couple of things. You're saving on the cost of the, of the bridge financing because if, as in North Dakota, you can get uh, money for at 2% for municipal uh, municipalities structure and you borrow it for 20 years, that 2%, you, of course, you get paid to your, gets paid to yourself. And, the, and you're saving all of that money that, and, and, and all the money is staying in the area. So the bank is getting richer. Uh, that is to say, it's getting more and more ability to lend more and more money. And as its mission, its mission is designed to do this, it's able to spend more money, give more money into the economy for small business lending, to cooperate, support community bankers and credit unions, to give students much a better break on their financing and to, and to stimulate businesses that you want to target and encourage. So your public policy is, again, it's flipped on its head. You, know, you suddenly are living not only within your means, but, you're, but, you're, but your means are benefiting and growing around you mm -hmm. as a result of using this system uh, of finance. Yeah, we had the idea here in Mendocino County in our public banking coalition of using the public bank to finance, for example, we, uh, the Noyo Harbor, which is a, a fairly large harbor in our city of Fort Bragg, which would then allow goods and services to start coming in from the harbor instead yeah. of, you know, up and down the, the, the highway corridor that the rest of the state uses. And then... Yeah in improving our uh, uh, the train infrastructure here so that we could have public transportation, you know, so we could have had a harbor and we could have had goods and services going around the county based on the infrastructure that we built for ourselves through the public bank that we could have financed with the bank that would have brought more industry in, you know, it's, it does like yeah. you're talking about. I mean, that was just sort of our vision that suddenly became possible when we became as as a county. Uh, independent of that. Of, I mean, that's another thing that comes to mind with all of this, too. Lo municipalities becoming independent financially from the state and the federal system or the larger corporate system. Like once you can finance these things yourself, then you don't have to beg the state of California or the federal government to come in and bail you out, which is kind of the situation that you're, we're in right now when, I mean, all of the Mendocino, Mendocino County right now is 
paying so much money in interest to the private banks that they can't afford to do anything like this right now. And if they do need things like that, they have to beg for money from the state or for, from the you know national government. Right. Right, right. What what do they pay in interest? Do you know, or what has anybody figured out what they're paying interest? I I've been trying to remember, and I swear that the number that I heard was a hundred thousand dollars a month that they're paying in interest right now, Mendocino County to Bank of America. And it's I mean, the more I, 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 I that's what I heard when we were running the campaign, and I now my memory is like, can that possibly be real? But I'm really I'm pretty sure that that's what it is. They're so up to their eyeballs in debt and they're paying this massive interest payment and they can barely afford to keep the police force going we can't afford to take care of you know we're having a mental health crisis right now in the county <laughs> you, you illustrate something i think that really illustrates every the, the the nuts of it the the uh city councils state councils will pay will do everything they need to to pay the debt service pay the debt service first before they improve the school, replace mm-hmm. the cars, or hire the extra police officers, pay the debt service. The banks get it first. Why? In part because they don't want to jeopardize their credit rating so that their borrowing can be cheaper. You see, it's all about the same thing. We're all, as you say, we're debt slaves. We are serving this system from, from morning to night, right and left, every which way we look at it. Yeah. yeah. So, and if we are the bank, then the state or the municipality gets gets that interest and so like you say then that can go into your your local economy yeah so it's so it's it's breaking the the cycle of more debt and more taxes more debt and more taxes a downward spiral Mm -hmm. and instead it's going investment in equity investment in equity investment in equity so you know that's the difference that's the structural systemic difference I feel like once people understand this, it's such a no-brainer. It's like we've got to start moving in this direction. I mean, if we want to see the 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 change that needs to be that needs to happen, because right now, I mean, the problem is systemic. This debt problem. I mean, all of our governments are in debt. All of our households are in debt. You know, I mean, the whole system is based on debt. Everyone is in debt. Uh, it's not working. We have to turn this around somehow. And and the, I mean, the system. To, so to understand then that the system was designed to do this to us, and if we yeah. have to change the system in order to turn things around, but there's plenty. I mean, everybody's working here. There's plenty of productivity. There's this thing called the internet now that makes things really productive. Like if we can figure out, you know, how how to turn it around, then everyone should really feel abundance in their lives, and we can get away from this you know, scraping by every day just to pay the bills. And as you're saying, it's almost like a brainwashing on the county, on the on this government level, where even on the, the county officials or the city officials, their number one priority is to pay off the debt service. Like, you've got to get out of that mindset and start, yeah. instead of scraping by to pay off the debt, you know, you've got to be bringing abundance to the people, you know? Yeah, and one-third of the of our federal income taxes goes to pay off the debt, one-third. Oh. And then 50% goes to the military, so it's no right. wonder there's nothing left over for what we think we're paying for. Well, let's not Yeah, and, and, and this is, as you said, Doug, it is intended to be that way. It's not just the, not just the city, uh, the Mendocino County or the state of California or the United States. It's the world. The global financial cartel controls 
most of the world yeah. uh, with this system, which is why Greece and Greece, of course, being taken down, Puerto Rico, Cyprus, you mm -hmm. know, Europe's on the verge of uh, things not working. So, Chicago. Uh, what, uh, yeah. so what we have to do, and I think what we all have to do, individually have to do, is speak to this. Speak to the possibility that we can do this different, that money is not scarce, that in fact, you know, we have a role to break, uh, to create a new paradigm, a new sense of our ability uh, to have a system that serves everyone. No one and no one and no thing left out. We don't have to keep kowtowing to the, to the people that we've always gotten our goods from. Let's start taking matters into it. It is. Yeah. A, Ellen? Uh, well, on, and on the federal level, you can have the federal government. If you want to call it borrowing, I, that would, that, there is that whole, um, you know, the Dennis Kucinich bill for 100% reserve, anyway, for the government issued money, basically. So I remember one advocate who was talking to a legislator and the legislators said, well, we're, we're, we're actually more comfortable borrowing the money than printing the money. <laughs> so fine, if they want to borrow it, let them borrow it from the Federal Reserve, which prints it. Mm -hmm. You know, so you've got a debt out there, which is how they spend it anyway. You know, they, the government spends the money first. So what they do is they just start writing checks on their Fed account. And then at the end of the year, they balance it up, and if there's not enough money coming in from the fiscal year, if there's not enough money coming in for taxes, then they borrow by issuing bonds for the difference. But instead of issuing bonds, if you just borrow directly from the Federal Reserve, which you know creates the money on its books, so you've got a debt to the Fed, then the Fed rebates the interest to the returns the interest to the government after deducting their costs. But anyway, they most of it goes back to the government. So basically, it's an interest-free loan that never has to get paid back because nobody ever pays back the federal debt. That $20 trillion debt that we have is never going to get repaid. Mm -hmm. The big issue is the interest. If the debt itself is just sitting there, it's the equivalent of our $20 trillion money supply. It is our money supply. It's the negative that creates the positive. Right, the, the right. In the economy. Why are we so paying interest on it? Spend. Yeah, let them spend to fix all this hurricane damage or right. all those things we need. Let them do like the Chinese do, which is just issue the money, borrow it from the Chinese own 80% of their banks still, even with some privatization now or allowance of foreign banks to come in. They still own 80% of their banks. They borrow the money from their infrastructure banks to build these 12,000 miles of high-speed rail in 10 years. How did they do that? They just issued the money, but allegedly borrowed from their banks, which then is repaid easily. Those railroads have made a lot of money. I mean, it's easy mm -hmm. to pay the loan ba back with infrastructure because these are almost, by definition, self-funding loans, the kind of loans that generate, generate profit productivity. Well, what's just so amazing to me, because people are constantly talking about the problems, the problems, the problems, and then there actually are solutions. You know, like this is a huge solution to a very big problem. And yet 
Uh, it's amazing how few people understand it. You're, you get almost no press from the mainstream media, which is amazing. Uh, it goes to show you that the this banking class uh, has so much clout. I mean, they're making so much money off of these interest payments, like you thirty percent of the national of your of your income tax going straight to the bankers. That they can afford to buy off uh, the media, they can afford to buy off the the politicians. Uh, I wanted. We've got a couple of minutes left here, and I just wanted to let you know, Ellen. Like I interviewed um, Robert David Steele and Cynthia McKinney last week of from the hashtag Unrigged, and I know that you had endorsed them and their movement. And I think that it's such. I mean, because this concept that you're talking about, public banking. I mean, this really should go beyond left and right. We need to just get people to to stop you know fighting each other in this left right paradigm and start to focus on these solutions that are right in front of our faces and then battle the corruption that is preventing us from moving forward and having what Robert David Steele called evidence-based governance i mean instead of the our politicians you know talking about what are the real solutions what's the evidence what's going to work let's make it work they're getting lobbying money from corporations and then they're like frankenstein monstering this economy together based on what the giving these big corporations the handouts and you know of course the the banking cartel is the hub of that whole corporate wheel um, so things just aren't working. Do you see some kind of longer term solution to this? What seems to be such a corrupt, you know, the, the corrupt system in in politics that then leads to this kind of corrupt banking system that's siphoning all this money up into uh, into this speculative economy? Yeah, well, I think we just really have to wake up the people. I mean, that whole divide and conquer thing is classic for mm-hmm. how you how you conquer that like you've got the people fighting each other and not looking at who the real enemy is who is the the puppeteers who are making them fight each other i mean we've got a literal civil civil war going on right now i read that somewhere where people can't even talk to each other that they hate each other so much you know the two sides hate each other so much right. in fact my my best friend i Actually, well, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> I won't reveal my leanings on this. But um, anyway, yeah. So, and it's because really because we're reading di- or looking at different media. You know, they get one message, and the other side gets the other message, mm-hmm. and then they, they we can't come together. So, so it's like in the Wizard of Oz. You know, when you wake up, when you realize that you've got the slippers on your feet all along, you've got you've got a heart, you've got a brain. You don't need to, you know we've we've got the power within us we just need to throw off the our our captors mm-hmm. and we can we are free we can be free just with another way of looking at it the whole uh, you know the wizard of oz that um frank baum was a theosophist among other things and that was theosophy was indian philosophy or hindu philosophy imported to to england and then to the us but a basic tenet of theosophy was you you create your own reality. You are what you believe. You are what you think. So we, the people, just have to realize that we've been enslaved by a power that is a paper paper tiger. They don't really, they've only got the power that we give them, and we need to take that power back, and we can. Absolutely, and, yeah. And, and the anesthetiz- how they've anesthetized thinking through the media, through the the sensational media has kept us away from the power that we have as individuals. 
to make the substantive changes that have to be made. I think where there's some urgency right now, Doug, you know, about this, and not only are these storms indicative of that, but we see the cycle of the, of the, the, climate, the, the changing climate, the realities of rising waters, changing temperatures, changing soils, etc. There, there is a major crisis here that will not be solved by borrowing money from Wall Street. But it will not, and even if we could, we wouldn't solve it because the problem lies within us and the separation that we've that we have created in our in our society between us. We have to rediscover that the paradigm of collaboration, mutual support, respect, and care for each other is a, is is the only sustainable economic system. Just like nature, you know, we, it all has to work for everybody. Uh, and so we have to start thinking and talking even, uh, that way as, as a practical, hard-nosed sort of reality. Look, these are things we have to do something about in a whole new way. The old systems are not going to work. So public banking's, you know, a great task that requires discipline and serious engagement. It's not just a feel-good kind of a, of, a, of, a, of a movement. It's something that has a real agenda, a real working agenda to pursue. It's going to take us all. I'm really delighted to meet those guys, all you guys in Mendocino, how hard you worked on that. It was really, I congratulate you on going through all of that. Yeah, yeah, you. I was very impressed also when I was up there a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah, thanks a lot. It was great. It was great to to get everybody together and to do our part. I mean, we got 42% of that vote, and that was only, I think, because... The board of supervisors came out and uh, and they came out and they kind of snookered us with this. They they tried to pretend like it was going to be expensive, that the charter commission was going to cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to write the charter. And we were all like, um, we're all volunteers. I don't you know, we could borrow a room from the county and write the charter. I don't think it's going to cost any money. They really had to fabricate these expenses, these artificial expenses. And then, of course, they were able to publicize it all around the county and people thought it was going to be expensive. And it was just it was difficult to fight the powers that be and they just you know the reason why they were not supportive was because it was too much of a change like you're saying that there's just so much it was too different they didn't quite understand it they they're so used to making those debt payments you know that debt service like you're talking about that they couldn't comprehend that there is a different way they were so scared of getting sued oh the state's gonna sue us if we try this um and so you know, it, it is. It's a it's a shift in consciousness so that, like you're talking about, Walt, people need to understand we've got to start thinking outside of the box. I mean, there's just this box, and it's a prison. And if if we just start thinking outside of it, the solutions are right in front of our face. But um, it's going to take a lot of education and, and overcoming a lot of a lot of this fear that's just inside of people. They want to believe that the system has been in place to help them out. And it takes a lot even just to convince them that like, no, the, you know, these people are taking advantage of you. Um, so we'll, we'll just keep fighting the good fight. I hope that we're back in 2020 to try to do it again because I, we did, you know, 42% getting pretty close. Um, and yeah, uh, that's great that you're still at it. <laughs> right. Yeah. We'll keep it up anyway. Just with the last couple of minutes, then, do you want to talk about, like, I know, Ellen, what, what is your new position at the at the Public Banking Institute, and what are your plans for the future there, and then um, whatever contact information for the Public Banking Institute, and Walt, um, then where you're moving on to, I guess, is what I understand, and what you're going to be doing not, in the future. I'm not moving too far. I'm still participating. I, PBI is, you know, in my blood. 
Great. I'm doing something uh, as a consulting, uh, providing a consulting service that's built on the work that PBI is starting uh, to help these financial, uh, these elected officials get down to the nitty gritty of how do you make a public bank? You know, Great. PBI has a, has, a, has a much bigger educational agenda, but ultimately it has to get down to how do you help these people get the job done? So yeah. That's what, what Public Banking Associates is focusing on, but we're all on the same thing. And is there a contact information for Public Banking Associates? Do you have a website it's, now? Oh, yeah, publicbankingassociates.com. Okay, great. And Ellen, then how about you? Are you back on the board of, of PBI? Yeah, I'm chairman again. Nice. <laughs> for the second time. <laughs> so, And the website is publicbankinginstitute.org. And we're working on improving the website, among other things, to make it more user-friendly. We, we've had problems with Nation, Nation Builder, which is mm-hmm. very difficult to work with. Anyway, so our current push is media and just mm-hmm. getting the word out there. We're hiring a couple of new people that that's their specialty. So we're hoping to, what we want to do is raise consciousness, bring everybody to, you know, get the, get the tribes together. One problem we've had for a long time is you, even among money reformers, they don't agree on the solutions. So mm-hmm. you've got to go into those, you know, we don't want to fight them. We just want to share information and come out with a mutually acceptable approach. So, but, but I think we're getting a lot closer to that where, um, anyway, so, so we need to educate and connect and, basically sort of become one one become one you know (laughs) spread the message well i really appreciate the work that you're doing i think this is one of the key solutions to a better future for everyone really on the planet if we can start to drive this idea home i think it can make a huge difference in the daily lives of of everyone so i really appreciate the work that you're doing and i just want to tell my listeners if you like what you're hearing think about uh, becoming a patron for uh, The Shift. I could use all the help I can get. That's uh, patreon.com backslash The Shift. If you want to join me on Facebook, that's uh, The Shift with Doug McKenty on Facebook. Join the conversation on Twitter at D McKenty and find all my archives and more information about what's going on here at theshiftnow.com. Thank you so much, uh, Ellen Brown, for being on the program. And Walt McCree, it was great to talk to you guys again today, and I hope all the best in the future. And hopefully we'll uh, I'll be, actually have a chance to uh, see you when you're up here at the end of the month. Hopefully. Okay, Thanks. great. Thank great. you. See you again. Take care. You bet. You too. Take care. Bye.